Well, we can certainly confirm that in any case, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix of 2023 happened. That's it. That's the tweet. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 437 of Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And, you know, when you toss a coin on a chaos generator round and it comes up tails, this is what this podcast is going to be. Congrats, everybody. This was one of the worst Grand Prix I can remember for a long, long time. So I've taken the executive decision to talk about almost everything else that wasn't directly the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in this, our Azerbaijan Grand Prix podcast. Congratulations to Sergio Perez and great job, Yuki Tsunoda, for getting the points. That was all I took away from this. Pretty much. Yuki Tsunoda has not finished a Grand Prix lower than 11th this season. What a guy. Fantastic. Um, (laughs) Meanwhile, his teammate... Stinks. um, You know, sanitation workers were seen in AlphaTauri last night. They couldn't take that smell. Oh, it's rough out here in these streets. We'll talk a little bit about some of that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about um, probably the only real newsworthy bit of racecraft that was talked about all weekend, which was uh, George Russell decided to play pinball with Max Verstappen on, during the sprint. So we'll talk a bit about that and some of the reaction to that as well. And we'll talk about some of the anger on the internet regarding the F1 Academy because that was a very newsworthy topic, or, well, the lack of news, I guess you could say, because we found out that they weren't actually going to have any live coverage of their first weekend in the Red Bull ring this this past weekend. So, uh, as you can imagine, that went over well. And by well, I mean dreadfully. So, introducing my co-hosts as ever, the wonderful RJ O'Connell. Hello, RJ. Hi. Uh, chances are, if you're probably listening to this, I am at Hard Rock Stadium, home of the Miami Dolphins, which means I am at the Miami Grand Prix right now as you're listening to this. Uh, We're recording Wednesday before the Grand Prix. I'm leaving Thursday morning. Um, I'll be there pretty much all weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, talking to people, bumps and elbows. I'm looking forward to it. Um, A lot of what you'll see from there will be on Um, racefans.net. I'm very intrigued to say how this goes, and and I'll... dive a little bit more into it when we're back for our Miami Grand Prix episode. Yeah, there's a lot to already talk about with that race. I mean, they're scrambling to try and get rid of the last of the tickets at the moment as well, because uh, boy, 40% off discounts now for for general admission weekend tickets. Apparently they are throwing the emails uh, at people to try and shift the last of their tickets for this thing, because it's looking like Miami is not going to sell out. What do you what do you mean that like Formula One just can't charge whatever ticket prices and it'll still be financially justifiable? Oh no. It's almost like going over the top with a second major Grand Prix in well, a second extra addition to the United States roster of races less than a year after your initial Miami influencer led show was probably a bad idea. Hey Cam Buckley. Uh I am here. I am Cradling the shattered remains of my sports seasons. Um, oh. he's, he's a Boston, he's well, he's a Boston he, sports fan. Pray for him. Uh, th- th- your your prayers will be lost on me. Trust me. 
Bro, the Celtics um, still have a chance to defeat the reigning MVP Joel Embiid and his Philadelphia 76ers. And Masataki Yoshida is hitting bombs for your boss of Red Sox. I know the boss Bruins just gave away what the greatest regular season of all time and lost to a derelict franchise that snuck in about the last wild card in the Eastern I Conference. I so wish that we, this was still in Discord so I could kick RJ from the call mid, mid stop crying about it moment. <laughs> stop uh, crying about it. Uh, no, I will not. I am a dumb bitch. I will not improve and I will not log off. That is my motto. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that F1 race, that certainly was a race that happened where cars went around a track. And at the end of the day, the Honda Motor Company won. Well, as they say, they don't call it the Honda Motor Company for nothing. Dab. You can't Char- see it behind. You can't see it, but I just, I just dabbed behind the camera. Um, because, Boy, uh, doesn't Charles Leclerc know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a beating. Um, that was an absolute beating. By the time the two Red Bulls got clear in the Grand Prix, they were a second a lap faster. Brutal, absolutely brutal. Beatings, beatings, and more beatings. But yes, we'll be talking about all of that that wasn't really the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, but stuff that we felt what was worth talking about over the course of the weekend. So you can check that out. Places you can find us before we get into the real meat and potatoes of the show. Um, check out our website, motorsport101.com. You've got written reviews of everything that wasn't in Azerbaijan um, that happened over the weekend is on the website from yours truly. Um, thanks for the kind words. A lot of people were very kind about this one. I don't even particularly know why. But, uh, um, yeah, it's got the biggest breakdown of the sprint shootout and why I don't like it uh, overall that you've ever seen. Some talk on the F1 Academy. Um, a lot on the George and Verstappen uh, incidents and a bunch of other stuff from Baku. And MotoGP, which will be our next episode as well, MotoGP and RF. Um, a lot to talk about in that one as well from a stewarding standpoint because everybody has lost their goddamn minds. More on that in the next episode of Motorsport 101. And by the time this goes out, IndyCar will be up two from Barber. Probably the best race of the weekend. Probably the best non-oval of the season so far, I would say, um, between the between a lot of the big series. So, yeah, great, great time that was. So all of that will be up on the website if you want some extra content from yours truly. Um, but if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. You can follow us personally on social media at motorsport101. Motorsport underscore 101, I should say, sorry. And our personal handles, Dre underscore WTF1 at RJ O'Connell and at CBuckley917. Our Instagram, Motorsport101Pod. All those details on the website, as ever. Do check it out when you get a chance. So, without further ado, let's talk about Azerbaijan. Sergio Perez won the Azerbaijan Grand Prix pretty comfortably, becoming the track's first repeat winner since its inception in 2016. He won comfortably over Max Verstappen, who couldn't get close enough to mount a serious attack after losing track position on the race's one and only safety car, and Charles Leclerc in third after two unconverted pole positions, one for the Grand Prix and another for the new sprint shootout weekend format. But we're barely going to mention that because Baku sucked. So let's get into some of the other stuff that came out of the weekend. Now, that's how I read it down in my notes here, but I'll talk a little bit about the race itself before we get into the real nitty-gritty of it. Um, Red Bull were stupidly good. Charles Leclerc, God bless him, he tried. Um, he's busted round Baku. He's so good round there. But you know, and it looks like Ferrari might have genuinely made a little bit of progress, but yeah. figuring out some of this car, but... but- 
but Red Bull are just stupid fast. Um, they can just crank it up whenever they want and um, unleash the hammer. Um, well, Dre, uh, Dre, it kind of it kind of rolls back into what we've seen already this year, where the Ferrari can fight with or at least push Red Bull. In this case, they were quicker in qualifying, and then Red Bull just hammers them into the ground in the race. They're getting as many as 2.8 seconds a lap at one point during some of these races, man. It is crazy. Um, I woke up in the middle of the race uh, Sunday morning. I was like, I wake up in the, the morning. I'm like, oh, geez, did I miss something? Let me let me pop on F1 TV and see how the race is going. And to my surprise, it is in a very, very stationary phase. And I wake up and everybody is not enjoying this one damn bit. And I'm like, okay. I've seen enough. I can turn F1 TV off and go back to sleep. Yeah, yeah it, it, I think it caught a lot of people out that it was 12 p.m. UK time and 7 a.m. Eastern uh, because um, one Baku, I believe, is four hours ahead of UK time. And uh, they were a bit, right. they're a bit more catering towards that. And two, they wanted to avoid a clash with MotoGP because both series are kind of friendly now. So it's like with MotoGP on at two o'clock, um, F1 went early at 12 to suit the locals and, um, you know, get a slightly earlier Grand Prix in so that by the time they were done, um, MotoGP could kick off from Haraf. More on that on the next episode. As I said. love this. Sergio Perez won this race again, just to say what I said. To restate what I said in the in the intro, that's great. I think it's great that Yuki Tsunoda is scrambling whatever points he can out of, that, out of whatever that car is. That's all I need to take away from this. But what about the sprint? Now, for those who don't know, because as RJ alludes to, and I've borrowed his phrase, every podcast is someone's first. Um, this was one of the worst kept secrets during F1's spring break, I guess you could say. Um, their accidental three-week break because of China's cancellation. Um, so those who don't know, the Sprint Shootout is a tweaked version of the Sprint format that we know and love. And I use love in inverted commas here. So How we. this... Exactly. Uncle Phil style, we. Um, but uh, yeah, to, to, to go over the changes real quick, instead of what we got before, which was a um, Park Fermade free practice two session, uh, we now got the sprint shootout, a Saturday morning a uh, 45-minute session where you basically take the usual conventional qualifying Q1, 2, 3 format and make it a 12, 10, and then 8-minute long Q1, Q2, Q3 format with mandatory tire selections for each of the rounds. There were mandatory. You had to run new mediums in Q1 and Q2, and then you had to run a new set of softs in Q3. Remember that. It becomes important later. Um, as well as the fact that now Friday's conventional qualifying session now determines the grid for the Grand Prix um, and the shootout sets the grid for the sprint. So basically Saturday is now entirely standalone, whereas the qualifying session on Friday now absolutely nails in who's going to be in pole position. There's no more confusion in the stat sheets and that determines the Grand Prix grid on Sunday with... Uh, no influence from the sprint on that now whatsoever. That's basically the long and the short of it. Um, what do I think, as RJ alluded to? I think it's a better format than what we had before. I I, I think almost anything is better than a Park Fermade 
FP2, which served absolutely no fucking purpose whatsoever. So I'm glad that that got turfed over. Um, the shootout is fine. I mean, more qualifying is not a bad thing. I think the qualifying has always been a good format that's worked. It's a safe play, but I think it's a good one overall. I don't like the mandatory tire rule regarding it um, because it led to cars not running in Q3, like Lando Norris. Lando Norris had run out of new soft tires by the time we got to, quote, SQ3, as I'm going to nickname it going forward, because yeah, yeah, Dre, it yeah. Q, 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 Q6. Q6. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it had become like it had become a plot point beforehand where those two were out of sauce. There was a, a genuine debate beforehand that their teams were going to send them out on a set of intermediates on a completely dry track to see what they could get. Uh, the old Kamui Kobayashi 2019 Jaff Grand Prix special. Uh, there's one for you OGs out there. Mm. Um, it, it, sir, it gave me memories of those early years in the 2010s where teams that just squeaked into Q3 would just be like, all right, we got a top 10 starting spot. We're going to save as many tires as we can, and we're not yeah. going to go out in Q3. And everybody hated that, so they decided to give out more tires for qualifying only. Exactly. They they where they che- they tweaked it so they could so they gave everybody an extra set of softs for free if they made Q three to basically encourage people to run. Um because sometimes you were getting qualifying sessions in those days that only had seven or eight cars run a lap in, in, in Q three and some of the guys that were squeaking in were like, Ah, we'll take the eight, we'll take the ninth or the tenth place spot and we'll take the extra set of tires for the race. And I mean, this was intentional from the FIA I need to point this out. The the, the commission beat their heads together. They told Pirelli, we want to ship less tires out over a Grand Prix weekend. So what we're going to do is we're going to only give everybody 12 sets for the entire weekend, precisely two hards, four mediums, and six softs with no deviation on selection. Um, So they forced the teams to have to play the tire management game because they still had to give a set back off the free practice, and they still had to give a set back off to the sprint. So... They had to be very careful about how to manage their tires over the course of the weekend. As King alluded to in our Discord server, it's a feature, not a bug. Um, I don't like it, personally. I would rather see 10 cars out there in in, in sprint qualifying free or sprint shootout free, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think that rule might need some tweaking, personally. But overall, in theory, I like the format. The problem is not the format. The problem for me is, yes, it's nice to have more meaningful action over a weekend, and I understand why Formula One's done this and and the logic behind it. Like more like, racing for your dollar that you spend on your ticket. I guess. Yeah, and that's and that's a nice thought and all, but a part of me thinks that. The problem is not having more meaningful action. The problem is that the meaningful action right now is mid. So it doesn't matter. To me, it doesn't matter what you dress that format up as. It's still not going to solve the problem that comes with the racing itself. I still think this format is too safe. And I still don't think it's radical. It's amazing that this is the most radical weekend change we've had in maybe 20 years when it comes to the weekend format as a whole. And yet, ironically, it's also still way too safe for it to mean anything. Like, I There will never be a sprint format that satisfies everybody because, uh, Mm. you know, 
the idea of having two races per weekend uh, already just flies in the face of people who feel that the Formula One Grand Prix should exist as a single race undisturbed onto itself. Um, and there's one other genie in the bottle that they could bust out to make it a little bit more entertaining, but it's the most anti-meritocracy measure that they can they could bust out, and that's reverse grids. Yeah, and you would have, I mean, first of all, Red Bull would win automatically anyway because they just slice back through the field because the only car that seems to be able to still pass others under the uh, current situation is still the Red Bull because it's so cracked in a straight line. Um, you would just have, you know, it would benefit some drivers and other drivers would be screaming from the rooftops and ditto with their fan bases, ditto with their teams. Um, I just think the sprints are a giant ball of meh. I don't think they are inherently bad, but are they worth the additional equipment cost worth the additional everything that has to go into the weekend? I don't feel that they are. Because as we've made the point of before, if the product itself isn't very good, then more of that product isn't going to fix the fundamental problem. Um, And and another thing that I feel with this current um, structure of how they've uh, set up sprint qualifying. Dre, you remember we talked about kind of at length the first time we saw the sprints. Mm. It just kind of felt like it was helping cars that were out of position after qualifying, which is a lot of the excitement in F1 these days drop back into their initial position. Yeah, I remember Carlos signs at Imola last year, crashed yeah. in Q2, so I think he started that sprint in about 14th, 15th place, got to 5th place via the sprint, only for his Grand Prix to be ruined by Daniel Ricciardo 15 seconds in, but you get the gist. He, oh. he used the sprint to get back to effectively where he probably should have been roughly on the Grand Prix grid anyway. Exactly. Well, because everyone is now on a locked tire, so no one is leveraging different compounds to try and mitigate their car's flaws, and because you only get one run, it just feels like we've pushed that out of the sprint race itself, because now it doesn't affect the main grid, and now it just feels like everyone qualifies for the sprint where their car is pretty much limiting them to. I don't necessarily... I mean... I'm, I'm, I kind of think because, like, I didn't. I also didn't like the way that the sprint would had such an impact. First of all, it was kind of silly that for uh, people in our circle could not come to a consensus agreement on what the definition of pole position should be. Should it be the fastest qualifier in a time trial session, or should it be the person that actually starts first place in the Formula One Grand Prix, which you're building to? That is just nerdy stuff. But then again, if you're listening to us, you probably already are. So that's 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 fair enough. I mean, I'm glad that's been ironed out at least. Um, look, I'll say something real quick, Cam, right? Yeah, yeah. Logan Sargent, and you know what? Like, bless him. He's not the most personable chap out there, but... Logan Sargent, nice to me. I don't know what it is. <laughs> he's fine. But like, Logan Sargent basically... Like he let the genie out of the bottle when he was interviewed about this on Thursday. And he said, teams at the back are just going to treat this like a glorified sprint, like a glorified test session. Nothing to play for. Um, I, I used like, When I wrote about it on the website, I used a hypothetical scenario. Imagine you're Nico Hulkenberg. Imagine you're starting the sprint from 15th place. Yep. You have to gain seven places 
in 100 kilometers of running, roughly, roughly a third race distance, yeah, to get one point. That is just fundamentally not happening with any car that can't go out there and do it on merit. Yeah, it's, 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 thing, it's an unrealistic expectation. Yeah, the other like, thing but, about the sprints is that there's no strategy involved. It is just bolt on the softest compound you dare and go hell for leather. And it's just, there's no intrigue to it. You're not going to make, I think it's right, the teams, like the sport doing this is trying to make the teams more aggressive, which is understandable, but you're not going to get that out of these teams. The teams at the back who know they can't score are just going to go around at, at 75% and just gather data on their tires for the race itself on the Sunday. Like there is no point if you're if you're a back marker team if you're an Alfa Romeo or if you're Nick DeFries or if, or if you're you know Valtteri uh, Bottas if you're any if you're anybody no. outside the big four of Red Bull and then slightly smaller three of Ferrari Mercedes and Aston Martin what is your incentive um, no. unless and this comes from Adam Stern's Sports Business Journal, that you are one of the Haas team drivers. And if there were a sprint at Miami, if they were to finish in the points, one of their sponsors, Chipotle, will give away 10,000 free burritos if they finish in the points. Oh, fair enough. But but it just rolls back to my initial point about the sprints. And it's just... It doesn't really change much. If you are at the back half of the grid, you have nothing to play for. And if you're in the front half of the grid, you don't really, you still don't really have a whole lot to play for because that Red Bull dropped two points this weekend. It, it, it's it's a win more weekend. Oh, sorry, three. Yeah. Three. They didn't get fastest lap. George Russell was demoted to fastest lap bitch this week. Oh, yeah. Um, like, if you're a big team like Red Bull, this is a win more gimmick for you because there's eight points tied to the well, potentially fifteen points tied to the sprint. As long as your car doesn't explode, it's house money. Yeah, it's all it's going to do. All it's going to end up doing at this rate is it's going to end up stretching what is actually a pretty close field even further because it's going to be. Mean, I mean, at least they've de- allocated more power unit parts, so they're not stretched too thin, I guess. Yeah, but you still have to pay for those. That's just what you're allowed to use, but you still have to pay for all the extra components. That's still bouncing up into the budget cap more for teams that are on the limit there. High Red Bull. Um, but it's also, yeah, I mean, I just it, think it's also a mess that they're, they're fucking around with the weekend format when we're already mid-season, including on power unit components. That's crazy that they're doing that four rounds into a championship well, season. Well, and, I, and I'm going to look back and... You look at the regular F1 weekend format. Is there anything wrong with it? Really? There's not really anything wrong with it. Is I there get anything that to people, fix? There's not. I get that people don't, but people sometimes get tired of the same thing over and over again. It's a natural human condition, but sure. the format's fine as it is. Yeah, qualifying is great. Qualifying gives you an air of excitement. The race is the race as it has been. And at all of Sky and all other pundits who think this, practice is part of racing. Right. Regardless of what series you watch, unless it's NASCAR, which, I mean, they canned it for COVID reasons, and they realized, oh, this causes total chaos every weekend. Let's keep it. You don't yeah. want to be compared to NASCAR when it comes to how you're structuring your series slash format. Yeah, people, yeah. people, people in F1 circles get touchy anytime they get compared to NASCAR in a positive way. Oh, massively! Way. You're trying to be NASCAR. Yeah, 
It's it's all show and no go. And like you, it, it this is this is how I used to describe the area I used to work in as a diamond encrusted turd because that's what this feels like right now. Like going a little bit deeper beyond the the remit of the question. Like the racing is not good. The racing no. is, the, Baku, the racing is okay. Baku gives us two things. Try. Right. It gives us garbage or it gives us glorious chaos. Sometimes yeah. when you flip that coin it lands on garbage. We have not had a good a traditionally good Grand Prix at this racetrack. No, and it's and been that, and over I, a de- I, it's been I, over half a decade, Dre. I swear to you, they only came here because they knew it was going to be a 50-50 chance that it would be complete fuckery. I'm almost certain of that. The racing this year has not been good. We've gone one step forward of the 2022 regulations, which I know we didn't have a title fight for half the year, but it still ended up producing some very good races across the board. Maybe not one that was objectively fucking barnstormers, but I think there was. Five or six races last year that I rated like eight out of ten or better. I was going to get to this point. The new ground effect regs, I feel like just from what I'm hearing from other drivers, is that they may have already been compromised if they haven't been already regarding the quality of racing. Because this was supposed to ease the reliance on DRS and make it easier for other cars to follow. And multiple drivers that didn't drive Red Bull RB19 said they couldn't overtake once they trimmed 100 meters out of the DRS zones. And yeah, whose no. decision, whose bright idea was that, by the way? Because, like, like, are you, like have you watched the first few races this year? Like, who decided well, that we're going to well, shave so, 100 meters off the DRS zone? So, like, Bahrain was excellent as long as you didn't care about the fight for the lead. Sure. And everything since has pretty much been a track where we don't get racing at. But the problem now that we've got is that uh, that technical directive that rolled around in the middle of last year because, oh, we just we know Red Bull's exploiting the regulations. We know they're cheating. We have proof. Well, team teams had to raise their cars and they're having to make downforce the old fashioned way by reading between the lines and getting more out of the top half of their car than everything underneath, which is how you roll back to having severe, dirty air. Yep, the ride heights have buggered us all. And I, I love that one of the people that complained about the race being boring was Toto Wolf, who has been the absolute lead antagonist against these regulations since they came into play. I wonder last why. Game. Well, and, hmm. and he's the, and his team was the one who screamed bloody murder from the rooftops that Red Bull was exploiting something with their floors and got that technical directive brought in. His team that just had a massive shakeup at the head of their technical department, by the way. Yeah, yeah, James like, Allison they, they somehow James is back. Allison. And uh, Mike Elliott has been put to, well, the fire. The, 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 the Elliott's... Uh, it's, it's, it, I love that it, basically he decided to relieve himself by taking a promotion. I, lo- I love Mercedes. May, may, may it never change that he was like, I'm now going to be chief technical officer and then we're going to bring back James Allison to do the day-to-day dirty work. And to be fair to James Allison, like if he actually heard the story about why he's back day to day it's actually incredibly you know wholesome and charming and yeah talk, he talked a lot about his new po- yeah new i got nothing against james no, no, i, I hope, hope this one never works out fantastic individual but yeah, he's a, again he's, he's a great he's, he's a great human being and his yeah. story about how tragically his wife passed away a few years ago um and he's now found a new partner and you know had she apparently relocated countries to come live with him um and that motivated him to get back into day-to-day work it's a it's a beautiful story i do i, I think he was i think he was on the um 
F1 Nation podcast on YouTube the other day talking about it. It's it's well worth your time. He's a, he's, a, he's a good dude, James Allison. But I also love on the other opposite side of the coin. We also have Zoe in our chat who says Lewis's first traps claim another. Um, sit on the other <laughs> side of the scale, <laughs> which is just quite funny. Um, but Z- yeah, Zoe, it, it, Zoe, you're out of your mind. Never change. <laughs> exactly. We love you. Um, happy birthday, by the way, Zoe. One of our happy uh, birthday, uh, our beloved co-host. Oh, Tandro, be a Manitoba Zimas. Yay! Uh, happy birthday, Zoe. We love you. Um, but uh, yes, uh, it's but, but, what but, a but mess. When it comes to when it comes to technical regulations in racing, necessity is the mother of invention. You need to go find aero performance. If they take away one method, they're just going to go find another. And unfortunately, in this case. It's how it always it's always was. Um, and in this case, they are going to find ways to read between the lines and the rules and discover outwash to bring back as much of the old way of working the overbody arrow as they can. And they are and they're getting performance out of it at the detriment of the racing. Yep. And. We're going to have to see when we go to tracks that produce better than this because, I mean, this place either produces snooze fests or insanity. Well, I don't I don't have a big enough sample size on Miami yet, but after Miami, it's like, I don't know if we're getting any good sample sizes out of Spain, even without that chicane and Monaco. I don't think you could get an exciting race out of Spain for out of any kind of race car. Yeah, we, we, we've got we've got Miami, Monaco, Canada. Imola and Catalonia up as the next five Canada's races. Canada's fun. Canada Canada's can all right. fun. But like the other four? Ooh. Nothing. Oh boy. Uh, we, uh, the, the, the road to the summer break is going to be a long and arduous one. I warn you in advance. Um, I'll be there for part of it. Good luck in Miami, big man. I mean, you, you'll, you'll crush it. And uh, uh, feel free to swim in that marina for me, as long as I ain't paid five grand for the privilege. Um, <laughs> as, lo- as long as I'm not paying five grand and the uh, and the re- and the revocation of my press pass to do it. No, like like don't don't go full Craig Slater. Don't ever go full Craig Slater on that marina. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the sprint race. Uh, and, and a specific incident happened in set sprint race. Was this Esteban Ocon having to dodge uh, photographers because uh, there was a big old miscommunication? That was the actual race. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, what We that didn't was. even talk about that. There was a miscommunication in Esteban Ocon, who had run the entire race on the same set of tires, almost hit a crowd of photographers who were crossing the pit lane. Yeah. Um, you'd think the FIA's track organizers would learn by now that, guys, teams are attempting fastest laps more often and if anyone was actually watching the race, it was obvious by the end that Esteban Ocon was going to come in on the last lap. Watch your shit, okay? Please. Like, I know this was probably just a simple miscommunication, but it could have had very, very nasty consequences. Get your house in order. Anyway, during the sprint, George Russell tapped Max Verstappen twice on the opening lap, the second of which put a hole in the man's side pod, causing him aero damage and forced Max to settle for third. After the sprint, Max was livid at George, calling him a dickhead under his breath for admitting he had no grip when he passed. Who was at fault and what did you make of the situation? Uh, You know, I actually, I went back and watched this because I hadn't seen the sprint live as it happened. Russell and Verstappen are jostling for third place through turns one and two. And again, this is all like single groove kind of stuff. 
It continues on down the stretch from two to three. Russell gets the position and then later Verstappen passes him back because, you know, even with a massive hole in his side pod, that Rebel RB19 is still fast and he is still pound for pound the best driver in the sport. (laughs) When I look at it from the onboard perspectives, I didn't even think it was that egregious. Like, I see... I saw like 50 worse examples out of the IndyCar race at St. Petersburg. I'm going to be real with you. Right. My general perspective is, and first and foremost, I think it's wild that Christian Horner was one of the most reasonable people when discussing this incident on Sky afterwards. I almost had to rub my eyes and uh, take some smelling salts. when I First of all, was Christian Horner is giving airtime to Sky Sports. And second, he's the sanest person in the room and the, and the calmest person ever when his whole gimmick is just to wind everybody up. That's crazy. I know, it's crazy shit. He put he, he described it as like a bit much on turn three when George almost ran Max into the wall beyond the track limits because there is a gap between the outside curb at turn three. Oh, and Max, then the Max wall. did hit the wall. There was no contact, but Max was run out into the wall. Yeah, it, yeah, it was tight, very tight. I am and shocked like, he didn't have a certified Red Bull drive shaft moment. Yeah, I would put this in the category of good hard racing. I mean. Russell probably holds a bit more blame in this than Max, but not enough for me to start thinking about penalties, is my general nah. opinion, if I'm playing Dre the Steward here for a moment. Um, what I thought was intriguing about this situation was there was more dialogue about Max calling George a dickhead than there ever was about the actual incident itself, which George was absolutely predominantly accountable for. Like, George is the one that's trying to overtake him, and he hits him twice, and he got away with it for the most part. I mean, again, punched a hole in Max's side pod, which damaged his aerodynamics. Um, Max could only settle for third. Um, So George did have a negative impact on his race. And to be fair, Max does have a genuine reason to be a bit peeved on this one like george goes for a move max did defend it reasonably aggressively but he did always leave a car whip for george like it was hard on from for max but fair is how i would describe it so and i'm not i'm not saying that i like max verstappen but at the same time i do find it funny that he's been on the receiving end of some aggressive racing and people were very very quick to make out the whole game of, oh, well, you know, if you're going to race people hard, Max, like you did all these years ago, then you can't be surprised when someone, like, does it back to you. Yeah, nobody likes somebody that can dish it out but can't take it. That's why Dylan Brooks is not being brought back under any circumstances. (laughs) Welcome to the NBA layoffs. Um, (laughs) Get ready to play for the Wong Dong Tigers, buddy. Look, they all just want to encourage everybody to learn new languages. Although Max Verstappen is an elite Formula One driver, not a role player in the just, that you can Bold just to assume that Dylan Brooks played any role in this year for the Grizzlies other than their end by talking shit to LeBron James. Yeah. Thank you for tuning into our basketball podcast. Um, but yeah, basically like that's more or less what this turned into is um like I said, I don't think anything was penalty worthy, but it also is becoming a bit of a habit for George to rush the inside of a corner under the quote-unquote engaged rules of engagement in Formula One's regs and then claim responsibility for, or basically claim no responsibility for what happens to the dude on the outside. George called it a racing incident. 
I'm just barely going to agree with him on that. But yeah. I don't like this divine right that George Russell thinks he has to space in a racing car because this is not the first time he's like, isn't right? Max absolutely deserves the reputation he has as an aggressive driver. That's no doubt about it. I mean, oh, yeah. six races ago, he crunched Lewis Hamilton with the exact same move that Esteban Ocon did to him and where he lost the race win in Brazil in 2018 and ended up shoving the dude. Like, that was six rounds ago. So mm-hmm. don't get it twisted. Like, Max is still more than capable of driving like a dickhead, ironically. But George Russell thinks he has a divine right to every corner he takes a lunge at somebody with, and I don't like that he always cites the rules of engagement every time he's caught on the receiving end because, buddy, we saw you last year. In France, you crunched into Sergio Perez. In Singapore, you banged into Mick Schumacher for no good reason. And then you spun out Carlos Sainz at Cota. I was well, there for that. And then he went on to win the next race in Sao Paulo. So this is the fourth race in, in under a year since he got to Mercedes where he's rushed the inside of a corner, failed to hold his line, and there's contact. And my issue, I take more issue with the regulations in the sense by more or less pulling all responsibility from the car that's still on the outside because I think overtaking is way too fluid and unique a thing in any given opportunity to try and regulate every aspect of how you need to overtake someone. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's fluid. It's You need to look at it on a case-by-case basis, in, in, in my opinion. And, and I, I don't think you can have a set of rules that apply to every situation. Well, here's the thing, Dre, like – because because in in doing what he's what he's done a couple of times, I don't think George Russell's a particularly dirty driver, no. but he does need to keep his head screwed on a bit more wheel to wheel. Some of it is clumsy. It, it, it's more clumsy rather than uh, it's more clumsy than malicious, let's say. Right. Um, so if we're going to play but, the reputation, rushing game, they're both as bad as each other, in my opinion. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, but, but, but no one's going to give Max for even if Max Verstappen is in the right, he's never going to get the benefit of the doubt because ha ha, Max is the one who got hit. When if yeah. roles were reversed, there would be uh, guillotines being rolled up. Yeah, look but, at Max; he's he's taking somebody out again. What a bastard, etc. And then we'd be okay. Yeah, with George. Yeah, stick it to him. Do you know how annoying it is that I'm having to defend Max Verstappen on a podcast right now? I don't want to do this. You don't, you, don't don't ha- you don't have to defend a man who just who called George Russell Princess George on the Dutch media about this. You you don't have to give it to him. No, but, and I was uh, I'm glad you but, mentioned that because I was about to because mm-hmm. yes he he was reasonably platonic about it to Sky and then the moment he was in front of his buddies in the Dutch press he he said that defending isn't possible if Princess George is on the inside and look. The, it's the year of our Lord, 2023. If you're referring to someone as a woman, as an insult, you're a piece of shit. Please don't do that. It's out of order, and it's petty, it's childish, and it's something I'd expect to hear in a high school playground. You're a grown-ass man in your mid-twenties. Do better. Your there's, reputation there's way better insults that you can come up with. Look. Anyway, you could call him a dickhead. Call him a dickhead. It's fine. It doesn't. It doesn't call him a dickhead to his face. I want to see this. He I want to see this fist fight. He did. No, no, not under his breath. Say it with your full chest. Anyway, um, I was trying to say with the overtaking those, with the overtaking rule as it is, 
what it in, more or less encourages the driver to do is get to the inside, regardless of what you, regardless of what's going to happen on the inside. Once you're in that corner, get to the inside, and then whatever happens to do it on the outside, washes your hands clean, and that's just a little bit silly. Yeah, it it needs to be fluid. It needs to be. I mean, look, there will always be a degree of error in officiating this because it's a very subjective thing, um, and there's that it's hard to define clear boundaries when it comes to penalties in a sport that can be so fluid. So I don't mm. envy stewards to a degree. I mean, I generally try to be empathetic towards sports officials in most places anyway, unless you're Scott Foster. Um, but uh, okay. <laughs> I, try, I try to be empathetic because it is a loveless, thankless task to be a sports official sometimes. And it's not an easy one, but, just silly stuff all around for more parties. Speaking of silly stuff, one of the biggest talking points of the weekend wasn't even in Baku. It was in Spielberg uh, over in Austria at the Red Bull Ring oh. as the opening weekend of the F1 Academy started. Now, there was a lot of people who were naturally quite excited about this. You know, a, a, a bunch of talented women taking part in a brand new... And I'm, I'm going to explain that a little bit quickly because we didn't really talk about it very much when it was first announced and launched in November of last year. But long story short, it is a bottom rung of the pyramid in the eyes of F1 um, to help get women up the ladder um, on what they call their self-proclaimed road to F1. Um, they're going to be Formula 4 cars, 15 of them in total, powered by five of the more prolific junior racing teams out there, including Carlin, Prima, MP Motorsport, you get the drill, um, with three women per, per team uh, for, across 15 seats. They're going to be racing in a seven-round, 21-race uh, championship, three races per weekend. Um, and the big important kicker in this is that Formula One management will be flipping half the bill on the budget per car. So they were putting up $150,000 of their own money per car to help mitigate some of the cost issues that come with women trying to find sponsorship and get onto the ladder in motorsport in general. So that's the rough plan. Their first weekend was meant to be this weekend in, in Spielberg, and it was. Um, mm. Some names you might recognize from the W Series. I think there's six W Series alumni in there. Um, including Spain's Marta Garcia, who won two of the three races, races one and three, and Emirati Amna Alcabasi winning race two. Um, Abby Pudding probably would have been up there, but unfortunately she was dis- she was disqualified from qualifying for the old uh, component register problem we've seen in Formula E a few times over. Whoops. Um, God damn it, Carlin. Anyway, the internet was very upset, um, and the reason why there was was because there was a crew to film, they were filming highlights and having commentary from uh, colleague Harry Benjamin over there at Biggin Hill. Um, they had a crew there to film and commentate the races, but not for live coverage. It was going to be for highlights, um, which they've now put up on F1's official YouTube channel. And I think there's a few broadcasters around the world, I think about 20 of them that have wanted highlight packages, which they will be sent and they'll be able to broadcast whatever they want to do with that locally. Um, point is, no live coverage, and they will not be for this season. It's going to be uploaded in highlight form, and you'll see highlights on social media over the course of a race weekend. Um, was this the right decision, and just how viable is this series? No, this was, this was the 
wrong decision. I don't care how many ways you got to slice it. This is a bad, bad look for a series that even before it got started, invited skepticism. And look, I'm a dude that's saying this. So take what I got to say for with a grain of salt. But when you look back and look at how W series fell into the shambles that it's in, suspending midway through 2022, I'll guarantee you, you never see that series again. What did the W series in is they were a profit-driven enterprise first and a altruistic platform for scouting aspiring women racers second. I've liked some things W series did more than some things that F1 Academy did and vice versa. I like the W series gave experienced women racers a second lease on life after the big they've pretty much fallen through the cracks. I like what F1 Academy is doing because it is focusing on younger drivers that FIA and FOM are footing the bill themselves. But Formula One's never going to get the benefit of the doubt that they're doing anything for the sheer goodness of the sport society at large if they're going to keep doing shit like this. <sighs> right. Full disclosure. Um, I have friends at the race I've spoken to about this. They have some sources on the inside that have that have had there's been some back and forth regarding that. Um, so I've got a decent idea of some of the internal workings. Um, I can't tell you everything for obviously to protect people and all that, but what I will say is that I suspect that this was a conscious decision from the series organizers. Um, I believe they genuinely had bigger fish to fry um, and sorting out live coverage was not a very high priority for them. Let's not forget this series is only a handful of months old. I know they went, they went public with it in November um, of last year. So we're only six months in and it's hard to organize a racing series in, in that short an amount of time. We've, we've seen how catastrophic that can be in certain cases. It was a rush job to help fill the void of a series that's collapsed mid-season. Yeah. And I get that. Yeah. And it was our, our own mucker, Ryan Eric King, over at Jalopnik, that pointed out that Formula 4 series, it's hard to justify streaming them online or having a live outreach to have them on because no one, no one really watches them. I mean... They just Italian Formula Four, which is the biggest Formula Four series out there, with genuinely talented prospects. Their last race was ten days ago, and it's got fifteen thousand views on YouTube. Now, there's, there's in, no fish in, biting. Yeah, in 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 that sense, fifteen thousand views on YouTube is next to nothing. That's a KFC bargain bucket in ad revenue. Um, and I get it. People and the audience are probably going to be a bit more emotionally invested potentially in an all-women's series for obvious and understandable reasons. But I do wonder how much money you're prepared to lose to make this work because it ultimately is still a business. And, I, and I'm and i sure the, F, the um, FOM uh, who are putting this together, I mean, they've already written out two and a quarter million dollars in checks for the 15 cars alone. And I'm sure there's a lot more to those running costs than that. Um, it reminds me a lot of why the W Series died because the, the W Series whole plan was we're going to stick this fork in the middle of this of, of this pie, um, this ladder to try and get women up, up the ladder and we're going to 
pull it off really, really well, and that'll and that'll encourage people to invest into the series. There'll be more money, and it will, it will naturally form a place where we can make it work as a profitable business. And then the pandemic happened. Um, the pandemic we, ruined everything. They they made some ter- they made some bad decisions with the way that the races were run and the series was organized. Yeah, well, um, well, well they, the, the ultimate problem at the end of the day is that the people in, in the power of this series need to be prepared to tank a lot of financial loss to get this on people's radar. If you're truly altruistic about trying to get women up the grid, and and I still think this is too high a plateau, to be honest with you. I think, even, I mean, the W series tried to be around Formula 3 sort of level. Mm-hmm. Formula that, Regional, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was too high. This is more a Formula 4 series. Okay, bit better. The Hamilton Commission report gave you the game. It gave you the blueprint without even thinking about it. I believe the approach needs to be different. I believe the approach needs to be grassroots motorsport. You need to be going into grassroots. You need to be going into schools in these places, and you need to be talking to teachers, educational officers, that sort of area of expertise, and going into schools and trying to promote motorsport as a genuinely viable alternate career path. Because I saw the Hamilton Commission report and I saw some of the surveys that were in them. It's abundantly obvious that as girls get older in school, and the older they get, the more turned off they are by the possibility of getting into F1. Either they've been told by environmental needs that motorsport is a male-dominated industry and therefore that puts them off the idea or that there's a lack of accessibility or a lack of viability as they come up through the ages and they realize that they go towards other things maybe other sports maybe other areas of, of education in general i'm still not convinced that formula four is the is, is I, I still think formula four might be too high i still have this this overriding feeling that What's going to happen at the end of the series is that, is that Abby Pulling or Marta Garcia will win will win the Academy Series, and they might get an F3 seat if they've got the money for it, but then you need to take a jump up to like a million bucks to be able to afford a decent F3 seat worth a damn. So where's that money going to come from? Well, it's, I, You have to be willing to tank that financial loss, and then at the end of, at the end of whatever you, you're doing here, how do you keep fueling it? Is my problem? How can you sustain what you're trying to do with F1 Academy? Right. Uh, because without that grassroots approach, you are going to run out of prospects. You need to extend the ladder, not just stick a fork in the middle. All of the way down. The All the way to the fundamental level of motorsport. And this is the problem. And the thing is, FOM is one of the few places that can afford to do that. Yeah, yeah, which is which is what makes it all like so strange that like they're willing to sink in all this money and everything, but giving a live broadcast to this. Well, I've always said that live sport is the last bastion of television, and live sports broadcasting is 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 as expensive as it gets. To that end, to that end, what do you make of what was going around that this may have been a hostage situation of FOM and Sky butting heads. And I know that these series would have been clashing F1 Academy and Formula 1 itself. Is that more I, just hearsay or is there something to it? 
I don't think so. And the reason why I say I don't think so is because if there was a genuine dispute between them, Sky wouldn't be on social media asking for questions about the F1 Academy on social media only for them to take down the post because inevitably all the fans on Twitter were talking about, well, where's the live coverage? Um, from what I was told, this was anticipated. The series weighed up the options and thought that they'll they'll take the blowback in the short term realize they're going to be on F1 support build from 2024 anyway. And they're looking at this season like a soft launch. They better hope they get to 2024. They, they, they and the women that are invested in this and the people that are invested better hope they get to 2024. They better yeah. hope they get to Circuit in the Americas in October when they join the F1 ticket. Well, I well, think Zoe, is, Zoe in our chat is, hmm. is kind of put in there that they need a multi-pronged approach. They need a, a full scale of motorsport scattershot hmm. if you look All at moto gp for example a lot of the bigger teams now have teams across the ladder and down like they have a genuine path where they can nurture their talent up the ranks io aki io was one of the first people to do that and then when ktm got a factory moto gp team aki io was like bang let's pair up and everybody agreed to it and it works because look at them now They've got guys on the podium. They've got Brad Binder winning races. Jack Miller is there. They've got, they've had a fleet of incredible talent come up through their ranks. But how many women there. are coming up through those ranks? None. And they and just announced their the own bottom. similar one, which and we'll, we'll talk and, about. And, we'll, uh, and we're going to talk more about that in the MotoGP episode as well, funnily enough, because it's the same weekend. Uh, the FIM, the, mo the motorcycling equivalent of the FIA, announced that they're going to be having a Women's World Championship probably next year. So we'll talk a little bit about that later on as well. So there's going to be a lot of dialogue regarding this, but I can only tell you what I've been told. I don't buy into the Sky versus FOM clash because if that was the case, I don't think Sky would be operating in such good faith that they were trying to get fan interaction for one of their upcoming podcasts. Because I know they've got Devin from the... Um, from Formula E's coverage to, I think, host the podcast and host some of the live well, we some are all, the coverage. Uh, in general. We, we are all acutely aware of how petty Sky can be when they are not happy with something regarding uh, Formula One. This is true, but I don't think this is one of those occasions. That, that's exactly my point, is that they mm. wouldn't be acting in good faith. Yeah. It, it, I just it, don't it, think this is good enough. Like, I agree. This no, whole the whole concept of, like, should we have all women's championships at this level or higher up? I don't know. Maybe that's not my, I'm not the best qualified person to ask, but, but this is what we have now. And I would have been interested in seeing them race and I couldn't. And even if it was just me and 15,000 other people, 1500 other people, 150 other people, it's still more than zero. It's a hard one because this is a classic case of altruism versus business. And I mean, I, I totally agree with you, gentlemen, that if you are doing this for the right reasons and in inverted commas, you take whatever your balance sheets are that are in the red, because that's what it's going to take. The W Series was, was walking proof. You couldn't try and turn a profit and genuinely try and get women up the ladder at the same time. You can't do that. Someone's going to have to come up and, and step up and write a check knowing that there's a good chance they're not going to get a return on their investment here. 
no, knowing that they're not going to get that return on investment for a long time because right. it's not it, we're not going to have one successful year of this in that situation that hypothetical and then magically everything is fine and oh this is how it is this is just how it is now yeah no I, you're going to have I, to sustain this for years the better uh, part I, of a decade before you're going to start seeing some of the benefit of that I, I agree. I, I, I'm not sure how much you can do to save this current generation that's come through the pandemic and to where we're in an environment where people are even less willing to write out a big check at the moment, be, again, knowing that there's a good chance they're not going to get a return on that investment. And I do wonder, and Hazel Southall, the uh, friend of the show, made a great point about this during the weekend, that how many of these sponsors have ponied up $150,000 to support these women now, not knowing that there was not going to be a broadcast deal for them to get live coverage. Yeah, like, uh, it, it's it's a mess. You have no coverage. Your sponsorship is basically going down a black hole. It's a mess. All you're going to get is a few pictures on a website and maybe a YouTube video or two. Like, yep. it's 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 not ideal. And it's not I, good enough. I, 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 I agree. I don't... I ultimately agree. I understand the reasons why this might not have happened, but like I said, ultimately my point is is that if if you truly believe in this, then you've got to swallow that pill. And the W series did a lot of things wrong, but one of the few things it did do right was exposure. In that they opened up in 2019 with a free-to-air TV deal in the UK on Channel 4 and then had the streaming platform alongside that for everybody else. They got a bunch of women, a bunch of exposure they would have never gotten under any other circumstance. That was a good thing. Now, they misfired, I think, to a degree by moving it over to Sky in the end. Um, they should have fought and clawed for whatever they could have gotten on free-to-air, but unfortunately, again, TV is brutal. But I would rather they bite the bullet and get something out there because exposure and marketing is key for these women right now to get up the ladder because they need money. They need money, and the series, subsidizing the costs is one thing. Generating the funds to get them up the ladder, which is what you're trying to ultimately do, is another. And I know how these junior teams get down. They are not going to compromise on money just because they're women. And And I know that sounds blunt and harsh, but that's how the sausage is made, unfortunately, at this level. Some metaphorically and sometimes literally. In fact, most of the time, I'd say literally. Unfortunately, yeah, it's we have to be because it's it's just the truth of it, and you need something to be able to counter that. Look, Deborah Meyer's Iron Dames project, which is now in conjunction with Lamborghini and has operations with multiple classes in the FIA World Endurance Championship is a really, really awesome platform that is produced, um, was not only given veteran women like Sarah Bovey and Rahel Frey, another lease on life. Dorian Penn, who now races an LMP2 for Prima, uh, came through the sports car ladder up through Lamborghini Super Trofeo and is now in LP2s and really could be in line for hypercar drafting. And I don't understand, like, if you put away any of our previous criticism, Jamie Chadwick aside, how does Dorian Pan not have the same level of recognition and hype behind her as she does? Uh, because, because the general public aren't into sports cars like they are single seaters, unfortunately. So it's a, as RJ, you said it yourself a couple of episodes ago, it's a niche of a niche. And I love that niche. And I watch that niche and I enjoy that niche. Yeah, I watch it. But it's a niche. 
and anything that is even remotely associated with the formula one circus is always going to get more exposure and And that's why there's such a huge amount of blowback right now to begin with exactly yeah and and i I complete i I watch enough sports cars now to know that dorian pan is a superstar she's an incredible driver um on on so many levels she might be the best high profile woman in motorsport right now she's incredible yeah but again it's sports cars it's a niche of a niche the reason why we're having this conversation is because there was a huge amount of blowback from the f1 traveling circus on social media that were understandably mad that there wasn't live coverage to a formula four series that should tell you all you need to know yeah, and maybe yeah. that's why the FOM needs to start listening and realize that, hey, don't slam the door in the face of people that care about trying to get people that represent them up the ladder. Because like I said, if you want to do this properly, you're going to have to take some financial L's. And if you're not prepared for that, then you're going to end up just disappointing everybody. This is going to end up in the exact same spot as the W Series. I'm going to wind it down by um, my closing point is that Leela Wadu, first woman to win her class in a race in an FIA World Endurance Championship event in the 12 year history of the series. There was a lot of good. There was a lot of ter- mid. There was a lot of bad about the six hour spot, Frank or Schaap, but I really like that. Congratulations, Leela. You've, you've done it. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, ah, I'm looking forward to Miami. I don't know what I'm going to get, but uh, it's going to be it's going to be something. Yeah, as you as you know, we still have four more Formula One rounds over the next five weeks, and Miami is next up. Um, and RJ will be down there, so please say hi and tell him and tell him Motorsport 101 sent you. Um, that'll be pretty cool if you bump into him down there. I'm sure he'll say hi. Um, but uh, yeah, that is Miami coming up next week uh, as well. On the uh, Formula One traveling bill, as mentioned, two more episodes coming out later this week as well. MotoGP from Haref is up next because, hey, wouldn't it be nice to go one week on a bill of these shows without having to talk about stewarding? No? Never going to happen. Fuck. Uh, We'll talk about that and talk about why actually Freddie Spencer might not be as bad as you think he is. And I can't believe I just said that in public, but here we are. I'm going to fight you. I know, I know. Trust me, you, you'll you hear my argument in the next episode. And look, I, I am going to try to play devil's advocate just a little bit. Forgive me, all right? Like, please don't come to my house if you own a van. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Uh, we've also got IndyCar as well from Barber coming up because please, God damn it, can we please get Romain Grosjean on a win? For the love of God, why does this keep happening? Anyway. As said, next Formula One race this weekend, Miami, second part of a doubleheader. Uh, do check that out if you haven't already. And you know where you can find us at Dre underscore WTF1, at RJ O'Connell, and C Buckley 917. Bonus thoughts on the website, motorsport101.com. Until next time, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. Until then, sayonara. Later, y'all. At least Ferrari finally got on the podium. It's a plus. Let's not talk about Carlos Sainz this weekend, though. Oh...